and back in the saddle yet again is uh mr roger williams author of i vaguely remember you you look kind of familiar you vaguely remember me (laughs) i've seen your face before child that's gonna be roger and i doing this podcast in 50 years when we're both riddled with dementia hey where have i seen i'm I'm halfway there man hey i'll be there soon (laughs) enough um Roger Williams, author of my favorite book, The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, the only book that goes into what happens after the singularity. Everybody, everybody likes to talk about what happens when they're it's like it's like all the nations racing to build the A-bomb, right? Germany, even Japan. I never knew this. Japan actually did have a very fledgling nuclear program. Didn't get anywhere, but obviously. Mm-hmm. All, it's like all the nations going after it. And it seems like, I mean, it's the end of warfare as we know it. And in many ways, it was correct. It's a, it's a fission bomb. It's who knows what tomorrow holds. Your book goes into post-August 6, 1945. All the other books wrote about what would it be like to test it, the intelligence operations to sabotage other nations. And then when you got it, what would you do? Well, you'd, you'd, you'd end the global war. Well, That's, and how great it would be. Yeah. But that would solve all of your problems. But I would, to me, that's kind of like what every other singularity (laughs) fiction, nonfiction movie sci-fi is about. It's, it's walking up to what this, you know, quantum supremacy, intelligent AI, sentient AI, the exponential Moore's law, all that good stuff. Yours, if we're using the A-bomb analogy, you walk past it and you talk about and then you go into well the hydrogen bomb and then the hydrogen bomb would be put on missiles and then how would that change geopolitics and there would still be skirmishes but it would never go to total war and it would be this whole dynamic of mutual shared destruction and whereas every other book walks up to august 6 1945 and stops at august or yeah stops at august 9th you go over the edge into what happens and so as much as i you know kind of jokingly pitch it every time i'm i have you on author of my favorite book metamorphosis of prime intellect it really is because yours is the only one that goes down the rabbit hole of what would we do if we could be gods. And it, I mean, it kind of turns into philosophy of, and I'll leave it at and, that. So everybody. And in, and in fairness to the other people who've explored this, it took me 12 years after yeah. thinking of the original idea myself to figure out how to go beyond it. Yeah. Because it's, um, it's very easy to say, like, what would you do at first? You give me a billion yeah. dollars today. What would you do at first? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd probably get a bunch of like hookers. I'd probably buy a Lamborghini. All the low hanging fruit shit, right? I make a yacht. Yeah, all the all the okay. <laughs> but then you have to. Your book walks it out thirty years, and it's like, well, what would you? Well, you probably end up getting into philanthropy, or you'd probably, or you become bloodthirsty and lust after power. But it's all these what next, and that's why I like it. So everybody go get it. It's on Amazon. But the link in the description will be to Lulu. Same cost. Roger just gets more of the cut. Less goes to Jeff Bezos. Now, if you want to see someone go over the technological singularity, maybe buy it on Amazon, put more money in Bezos's pocket and accelerate his uh, transcendence into a a cyborg. If you just want to throw Roger some bones, go get it on Lulu. With that, Roger, Ukraine war. For all future listeners, stay Sunday, April 24th, 2022 at 2.31 p.m. Eastern time. Well... There is a shitload of stuff that has happened since we last got together. And 
I think the first big thing was the sinking of the Moskva. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's a guy named uh, who calls himself Bo of the Fifth Columns, left-wing commenter, you know, YouTube guy who actually uh, lives in the Florida panhandle in a place that makes most of Louisiana look like New York. And uh, he started his comment on that with, you know, well, it was originally built with this other name, and then it was renamed the Moscow when they refitted it, and now it's been renamed the Snake Island Memorial Reef. <laughs> uh yeah the jokes write themselves don't they <laughs> um, but uh the moskva was uh their version of an aegis cruiser there it had all of the most sophisticated tracking systems radars uh high-speed defense systems and uh, the thing is that the Ukrainians built it. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yes, it was built in Ukraine uh, before Ukraine split from the Soviet Union. And in fact, at the time the Soviet Union split up, there was a sister ship that was half completed, which is still there in a port. Um, so uh the Ukrainians actually built a lot of the Russians' weapon systems. They built a lot of critical subsystems for ICBMs. They built a lot of critical stuff for their space program. So you're talking about a country that is not just uh, some rural backwater. Uh, they're not only the most populous country in Europe, they are also one of the most technologically advanced. They're the breadbasket of much of the world. Uh, so this whole adventure that Vladimir Putin started on had a lot of question marks on it that anyone could see. Now, the Ukrainians uh, sunk the Moskva the day after they issued a postage stamp commemorating the Snake Island incident, where the Moskva was, in fact, the Russian warship that the Snake oh, that Island... that was it? That was the ship. Oh, okay. <laughs> when the Snake Island guy said, Russian warship, go, go fuck, fuck yourself, the... that was the Moskva. And they sunk it the day after they issued the commemorative postage stamp. Never go to war with a comedian. Fair. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Zelensky has the frickin' sense of timing down. Uh, now, they also did everything very carefully and very perfectly. You know, they uh, attacked it in bad weather, which makes it uh, it's very wavy and it, it's hard to track a low flying target over the water yeah. when you have all those radar reflections from the waves and all. But uh, and, and they distracted it with a drone. So that the most powerful radar system that can track multiple targets was pointed in the other direction. And then while they knew the drone was lit up, they launched the missiles from the other direction. Interesting. The blind spot of the ship. But I've also seen commentators who said, look, this was still a couple billion dollar ship that had a lot of sophisticated systems. And as soon as a subsonic missiles... <laughs> Shooting down a subsonic missile is baseline 
capability for that, that's that's yeah that's that's like a that that's a prerequisite to be like a, a warship in 2020 yeah it, it's like this is baseline capability yeah. this isn't even like the good stuff and yeah. as soon as they say said as soon as those missiles even in with the technology of 1985 as soon as those missiles came over the horizon guns should have popped up and started blasting them with 30 cal ammo yeah you know just yeah the sea was and uh that didn't happen so uh the commentator i was reading said does this mean the system was down because it wasn't turned on which is a possibility but a very stupid thing considering it was in an active war zone watching an active threat in the other direction was it because the system was down because of maintenance issues because maybe the spare parts hadn't been supplied because they had been grifted or maybe the system itself had just been uninstalled and sold to somebody we yeah there are a lot of on that note yeah there are a lot of questions arising from that and it's like are we seeing the true hidden hand of like corruption i well yeah i think we are actually in, in fact everything that i've seen since then has strengthened my own opinion oh, yeah. about our last conversation about their nuclear weapons which is i would be seriously amazed if any of which, them could go boom for any for anybody listening i don't remember what episode it is it was like a week or two ago and it's it's roger's hypothesis which with every passing day i think it's more brilliant i actually brought it up with my buddies the other night gaming and they were like oh shit but it's the idea is does russia have any functional nukes and it's because the maintenance required is of a requires a very select few individuals with very high clearances so no one knows what they're doing and there's really no way on the surface to see whether or not a missile has been serviced or not and and the very expensive material that they need to use is well, the fungible. Goody. yeah and yeah that could be grifted off and the only way you'd ever it only ever come to light that you weren't doing your job would be in the case of thermonuclear armageddon in which case you're not going to the gulag because you're dead right I think so, it's a brilliant assertion. But on that note, yeah, we're seeing we're seeing the manifestation of of no of no of corruption and no maintenance. I'm I'm increasingly seeing Putin as Marvin the Martian in okay. that in, in, in that cartoon where he presses the button <laughs> where where is the earth shattering kaboom? There should have been an earth shattering kaboom. And Bugs is just like smirking at him. Yeah, you know, it, it's like I, I think this is where Putin is right now. It's like he's waiting for the earth shattering kaboom. And it's it was supposed to be there on day four of the war. And he's still waiting for the earth shattering kaboom. And it's, you know, everything goes wrong. Uh, so, you know, like right now you've got the last holdouts in Mariupol. And it sounds hopeless, doesn't it? There's just a thousand people left and all but they're in a four square mile factory that was specifically built to withstand a nuclear blast mm -hmm. yeah the tunnels underneath was riddled with tunnels with like a mile of coastline you know so boats can come up in stealth uh they've already evacuated like 500 uh other fighters from a place where they they were hemmed in 
And, uh, you know, they, they broke out, got these guys, brought them in at the last moment, you know, before, before they could be overwhelmed. So it's like, yeah, they've, uh, they've secured, well, let's put it this way. They, they've managed to paint the town red on the maps. That doesn't mean it's secured. Yeah. And, you know, and, and they've already had, uh, I've seen it said that, you know, they've had garrisons, you know, uh, field commanders refuse orders because they said this is a suicide mission that has no chance of success we're not doing it now uh you know that may be the reason that they decided to uh declare victory and stomp off while those guys are still in the steel factory because if they give the order to advance they know that the their own soldiers it's, are going to give them the middle finger. It's um, it's going into the tunnels in Vietnam. Yeah. And, like, and, and when you're at that point, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, they've given up the, uh, you know, they were supposed to roll over the whole country in four days. It's six yeah. weeks later. They've gone. Oh, well, we didn't really want. Yeah. Kiev was never a big objective anyway really yeah uh they yeah right now they're just scrambling for some you know fig leaf to put over the fact that uh they ain't got nothing else and uh i i don't know how much vladimir putin himself knows about his own country uh, because it's a, you know, it, it's a trope that leaders like that who surround themselves with yes men end up in an information bubble where they make bad decisions because they don't have any fucking clue what's going on. But after six weeks, you would think that somebody has had to give him at least some of the bad news. Uh, and the indications are that vlad has decided to go to the mat and more and more of his own people have decided not to to go to the what to go to the mat what's that mean uh you know take the fall in wrestling just oh got it got it uh yeah so it's like yeah if you're you know go for broke yeah, even if what you're going to do is you're going to get pounded by someone who weighs twice what you do, slamming you. Yeah. Uh, and more and more of his own people don't seem to be going for it. And, you know, you've had like in the last 72 hours, I think you've had two oligarchs found with themselves oh, yeah. and their families murdered. Oh, yeah, that was that was weird. Within 24 hours, two billionaires. And is that not a Russian thing or what? Because, you know, the, the Casa Nostra didn't fuck with your family. They would take you out, but then they would take care of your family because, you know. You're... Well, I, 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 thought that, I thought the Russian mob was known for, like, killing your family and mailing you body parts. Exactly. Well, that, that's the thing is these guys were found dead with their wives and children. Oh, as opposed to. As opposed, as, to... As opposed to the Italians who would not fuck with your wife and kids because they didn't know that they're not they're civilians that you you don't fuck with the wives and the kids in fact you would take care of them even if they're you know uh, yeah, they had no. turned out to be a rat but you I, you know 
I just proved my own point wrong. No, the purpose of killing the family members and mailing the body parts are the, the person you mail them to is the guy that you're trying to control. It doesn't make any sense if you kill that guy too. And and yeah. the yeah, that's the thing is the 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 Italian mafia understood that that was not how you do business. The Russians have always been way more ruthless, uh, and that's kind of what we're seeing now. Is it's all falling apart. So do you do you think that was that was you think that was within Russia that did that? I don't think there's anybody who doesn't think that. Okay, well, I know I was, I was just trying. I was trying to dissect here. I mean, you're, the, you're... yeah, it's like, yeah, two guys just happen to murder their families and then kill themselves on consecutive days. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about, like, what would be the implications of other things? If it's Ukraine, that would show it's like bare knuckle or you could say, was it American intelligence? Or if it was Russia, that would show that Russia itself is collapsing when they start offing their own people. Right? Oh, I have no doubt it was the Russia. Okay. Um, no, I'm just I'm just trying to walk through. I'm thinking like I don't see either the Ukrainians or anybody else doing that. The, you know, well, it's like <laughs> it's like the assassination of uh, was it Reinhard Gale? Not Reinhard. Was it who are the head of the I think the SS was the guy that was assassinated by a special operations executive like that was American over not over. That was America reaching out and touching the German high command, whereas Rommel being executed was the poison within the nazis taking themselves out i'm just thinking aloud yeah yeah but well the thing is you got to look at the ukrainians whole attitude throughout this whole thing is that you know we're not enemies of the russian people we know it's not the russian people doing this they know it's not even the oligarchs doing it it's putin and a few people and then the fact that they have the chain of command and it's like they're not even met you know it's like the way that they're handling things like using the facial recognition and then calling the families not you know in a spirit of ha ha but like to let them know it's like look we want to let you know your son is dead we we found him on the battlefield and we're really sorry about it but you know because they know the russian government won't tell them mm -hmm. so they get the moral high ground like mount fucking everest off of that uh, and the actual people running things from Russia, which is basically, as far as I can tell, is Vladimir Putin and a couple of people under him, uh, just keep digging it deeper and deeper and isolating everyone more and more. Uh, now, the thing is, Putin has dug himself into a bunker so deep that uh no one can pry him out apparently and you know he's old school in that regard he's had 25 years to dig this bunker and set himself up so that no one dares touch him but at some point it's got to give because you've already got paratroopers refusing orders they're, they're almost like no you're just putting us in a meat grinder here and we're not doing it you know there's no there's there's nothing to be accomplished except you know our bodies will be on the battlefield you know and when your troops are making that kind of evaluation you kind of have a problem yeah uh 
Yeah, and, and part of that goes, you know, but the whole their whole society is is organized where power comes from the top down, and there's nobody in the middle who has any kind of command authority, uh, because no one at the top wants to relinquish it. And for all of the bad things that you can say, and believe me, I have said a lot of them about the American military. Uh, we do have people in the middle. You know, the My Lai massacre was stopped by mm -hmm. a helicopter pilot yep. who said, fuck this, yeah. landed in the middle and, you know, at great risk to himself, stopped his own, you know, people from doing what they were doing. Uh, there's, you know, basically in the Russian command structure that's an instant field execution yeah they there's there's no room for that uh so this is you know they've kind of painted themselves into a corner uh because it makes them an ability un, unable to respond to changes quickly and and the ukrainians have been brilliantly doing all of the things that the russians can't uh you know they have these guys running around on atvs in the night using consumer grade night vision and consumer grade drones to do surveillance and drop grenades on convoys and shit uh and the the russians just don't seem to have an answer for that uh and in fact one of the things i wanted to talk about earlier uh before a lot of this other shit happened was how this is redefining war it's it's redefining at least surface war uh you know ground war how it's going to be fought from now on it's it's redefining it just as much as the internal combustion engine did you know in the world wars uh where you suddenly had the ability to have tanks and that's, you know, that was like a magic thing for mm -hmm. the, you know, the people who were used to artillery and, and infantry advances. Now you've got this portable armor. Now you've got this answer to the whole portable armor thing. And it's cheap and disposable. And you don't put your own people at risk to use it. So now it's going to be about things like drones and it's quickly going to escalate beyond that to the communications infrastructure. And can you jam the drones? Can you take them over? Uh, we haven't got to that point because the Russians in particular don't have the capability. Uh, but I see that, you know, in 10 or 20 years, that's going to be the thing is everyone's going to assume that you have both autonomous and human controlled drones running around that's going to be your main fighting force on the front lines of the battlefield yeah. uh you know because you know let's face it a human a human controlled drone can drop a grenade through the open top hatch of a tank yeah what good does it do to have a tank when you know that sort of thing is going on uh and the ukrainians have sort of anticipated that you've got these teams of guys running around in completely unarmored consumer all-terrain vehicles because they're fast they can maneuver over mud they can do all the stuff that the armor can't and you know just sort of keep ahead of it 
uh, and the consumer grade stuff is good enough. I had, I, I saw a discussion, uh, couple of weeks ago where someone was asking well you know you have the military drones the military grade drones that are like fifty thousand dollars a piece and then the ukrainians are using these things that you can go fucking buy at best buy yeah like quadcopters that are like seven hundred dollars and someone's like, well how much more effective is the fifty thousand dollar drone than the seven hundred dollar drone and someone left the comment i would say the seven hundred dollar drone is 60 times more effective because you can lose it and you still have 59 more of them. Yeah. Whereas if you lose the military grade drone, you're dead. You know, yeah. There goes your investment. And what are you trying to do? Drop a grenade through the top hatch of a tank, you know, and that's not a thing artillery can do. Yeah. So you're not overwhelming armor. You're finding precise ways past it. Uh, and that, is going to completely change the ground game in the same way that tanks changed the ground game in between World Wars One and Two. You know, in World War One, you had all of these fixed trenches, mm. and uh, you would go months or years, and they wouldn't really move any because no one dared pop their head up because there was no protection uh, if you, you know, happened to end up in the wrong end of machine gun fire but with tanks you could cross that and so now the line started to move and uh it didn't make sense to dig those trenches and make them as elaborate as they were in world war one because they're not going to be in the same place two days from now so it completely changed the ground game there and i think that this thing with drones is going to change the ground game in the same way uh, but in the opposite direction, it's not going to make any sense to have portable armor when it can be, uh, oh, you know, instead of overwhelming, you don't have to overwhelm it. You just wait till the guys open the hatch to get some air and have lunch and then drop a grenade on them from something they can't see that's not visible to radar because it's too small and it's mostly made of plastic. Uh, you know, there's no defense against that. So. This is a new thing, and uh, the generals will be discussing how to use this and how to defend against it probably for another 30 years. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're watching this happen in real time, uh, but a lot of it is that you have Russia, which has an overwhelming superiority in number of personnel amount of uh material you know and all this except that so much of that is undermined by the fact that so many of the personnel are conscripts that have no training yeah so much of the material has not been serviced or is obsolete or has been uh, grifted or has been yeah stolen uh and and, and they're, they're saying that a lot of, you know, pretty much they sent all of their best stuff in the first wave against Ukraine. And, and a lot of it's either been captured by the Ukrainians or destroyed. And what they're sending now is going to be obsolete junk from the 60s. So uh, you've got, you know, you know, and then you have the command structure, which is everything has to come from the top. Pretty much if it doesn't come from Putin, our two or three of his close buddies, 
then it's not an order and nobody's going to do it. And they're not close enough to what's going on in the field to react if the enemy does something you don't expect. Whereas the Ukrainians are just the opposite. They value resourcefulness and originality and creativity in ways the Russians discourage. So, yeah, the, Ru the Russians would not be, even if they could go to Best Buy and buy a $700 drone, they would never think of it. It's, it's like the Revolutionary War. Exactly. A bunch of, bunch of not terribly well-armed, not terribly well-trained, but doing the, the Indian-style ambush attack. And we're not going to put on matching uniforms and march in a field. We're going to fucking, yeah, we're going we're gonna to jump out of the woods and cut your throats. S snipe them from the edge of the high highway yeah. and all. And you have, uh, uh, you have the, the monster of the British Empire. And it's, they don't know how yeah. to. The best oh. equipped, best manned, best trained military in the history of the world at that point. Yeah. And, and they're, they're looking at this thing like, it's an embarrassment, right? The colony's getting away. It's very similar. In fact, I had the exact same idea myself, and uh, you beat me to it. Good one. <laughs> Thank you, sir. But right, I mean, but there's, I mean, you you could also point at the parallels between the Taliban against the United States, mm -hmm. right? You have an American populace that isn't terribly behind in the wake of nine eleven, sure, but as it drags on. We have our, our we have our people going. What the fuck are we doing? And then you have the Taliban, who, regardless, it's their of, home. Yeah, it's their home. It, and I'm not. This isn't a, obviously this isn't a defense of the Taliban, but be it the Taliban or the Viet Cong. The reality is, is it's your home. You just you're never going to get that same motivation to yeah. defend. It's all they have versus us. It's this. It's this weird skirmish that we're doing and for what. And one of the differences here is, is that you have to look at the Afghan, the, the Afghans beat both the Russians the Soviets and us back to a draw pretty yeah. much. Okay. The, but they are also people who are, you know, mostly illiterate, uh, no sense of, of the history of any of this combat or anything. Yeah. None of them went, you know, to, to school or studied any of this stuff they basically have learned if you point this thing at something and pull the trigger they'll die if you if you get that that that's their whole knowledge of combat the ukrainians are a whole nother matter they built yeah, your yeah. weapons yeah well it's, again it's very it's yeah <laughs> they, um, they it's like yeah they know all of the weaknesses of your weapon systems because they built them for you yeah so now you're going to go to war against them. And it'd be like if like Virginia seceded and we went to invade Virginia and it's like, well, that's where Norfolk is. Like yeah. they built, you know, that they, they, it's like if Washington state seceded and it's like, well, that's where the Everett factory is that huge Boeing factory. Like, don't be surprised when you don't know how come they have great air power. Um, mm -hmm. I was going to say as an, as a side note, if the Taliban, they, and they probably will, if the Taliban takes on China in like the next 50 years and wins, I mean, will they just not go down as the greatest of all time? And that's a terrible clip that will be taken out of context one day. But if they take on the Soviet Union, the USA, and the CCP and win, 
I mean, dude, you got to give credit where credit's due. <laughs> you know, well, like I, I'm I, not I'm not condoning the you know clitoral castration and throwing gays off roofs. Yeah. But I'm just looking at purely from a tactical standpoint. I mean, just I would I would much more expect for them to go to a tactical alliance with China against Russia because <laughs> China is sure. probably really eyeing up Siberia now. Well, sure, they'll they'll tactically uh, ally with them, much like they did with us, and then. And then the empire Step will overreach. The yeah, then the empire will overreach. <laughs> and you're going to be surprised that they start using your weapons against you. Roger, I got to pee real quick. Tell everybody where to get. Well, we already did it. Tom, again, where to get it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you uh, well, I'll show the. Uh... Do you want a uh, paper copy of my book? That you can read in the bathtub or whatever. Uh the best place to get it is lulu, L-U-L-U dot com. Uh, they are the publisher of Origin that I originally published it with. Um, you can get it through Amazon and other channels like Barnes and Noble. Uh, the price is always the same because the contracts that had to be signed in order to make it available through Amazon uh, do not allow Lulu to undersell them, even though they could sell it cheaper so what happens is lulu gives me a lot more money because they're not spending as much to make the book and you know they're they're basically giving me the cut that jeff bezos and amazon would normally get which is cool uh and the difference is like six dollars rather than two so it's not insignificant uh on the other hand if you've got an Amazon gift card or credit or something like that. I don't begrudge it if you just go in and get it from Amazon. Uh, it is by far where I get most of my uh, little uh, stream of beer money from this uh, book, uh, just because so many more people go there. So uh, that's uh, definitely a thing. I see Tommy is back. We are back. <laughs> What's also interesting is you got to think if you and I are observing this kind of shift in warfare, then obviously like our Department of Defense and intelligence communities are doing it. And they're not just observing. They're like, let's see how our weapons work. And just taking ship. detailed notes. Absolutely. I'm sure they are just <laughs> filming this shit from space. They're probably going to look at this free R&D. Let's see how it goes up against the Russians. Like, this is a wet dream. Real yeah, life well, simulation against the Russians. And part, of, and part of it is probably a little late getting off the ground because nobody expected this to go on more to than... To last this long, yeah. Uh, so it probably took even our own guys by surprise to realize the Ukrainians were going to put up this much of a stand because it, it, there have been these asymmetric wars starting with our own war of independence Us. from Britain. Yeah. Uh, you would think we would have learned something from that, but obviously the war of 1812 says that we probably didn't. Uh, the thing is, you know, we're looking at this and this should be a lesson for us. But uh, the big thing about Ukraine is that no one has ever done this before to a technologically competent country. Yeah. And the Ukrainians are far more technologically competent than anyone realized. 
I saw in the wake of the sinking of the Moskva, somebody going, how did they do this? Because those Neptune missiles, they don't have guidance systems, you know, it's like, no, the missile hit the ship from 200 miles away. Yes, they have guidance systems. These guys put fucking satellites in space. They can manage to hit your ship. You know, this is, this is, you know, the everyday shit for them. They are a technically advanced society. This is, you've got these guys going down to the electronic store and going, well, we can take this drone and we can hang a grenade from it. And, you know, you know, they're improvising stuff that, yeah, you're not going to do that in Afghanistan. You're not going to do that in Vietnam. Uh, even today there, there was a YouTube video I watched a couple of months ago uh, about this uh, group of Vietnamese guys that built themselves uh, a Bugatti. Oh, I think I, I think I saw that. It's, it yeah. sounds familiar. And, and, and it's like, you know, there's all this art, but they, apparently the start of the project was they got this used Toyota engine that was obviously pulled out of a donor vehicle. And that became the heart of it. And then they built the Bacati Veyron lookalike thing around it, but just like using scrap metal and shit. Obviously, it's not going to go 200 miles an hour, and it's not going to be very durable compared to a manufactured car. But the whole point was that these Vietnamese guys can cruise around their village that doesn't even have paved roads like I'm driving a million dollar car. Yeah. Hey, babe. Yeah. And, you know, it's like so it's like I I, I left a in the comments to someone was like, why didn't they do this right? Why didn't they do that? Right. You know, they use real bearings here and all. It's like these guys are in a fucking village in Vietnam. Yeah. Okay. You know that what they want to do is look cool in front of the girls, you know, and have the fantasy for a half an hour at a time that they're driving a supercar, even though it's basically uh, a really classy go-kart. Yeah. And, that's something that, uh, you know, that's not the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians are the people who could really build a Bugatti Veyron if they wanted to. Yeah. So <laughs> that, those Neptune missiles were a Ukrainian product. Uh, the Neptunes were? Yeah. They built those missiles entirely in Ukraine themselves. That was there. They were planning to go to production with them, but hadn't quite got there when the war started. And so uh, a lot of people suspect that the ones that they launched at the Moscow were prototypes uh, that had been completed. But, uh, you know, when the production schedule got interrupted by the war, they were just lying around. So they were like, well, we've got a few of these. Maybe yeah. we should use them. Uh, but they're not, you know, sitting around, you know, putting shit in together with soldering irons in their garage. These these are people who had a high-tech space industry yeah uh in fact a number of critical parts for ic you know for russia's icbms were made in ukraine yeah uh in fact it's still not quite known whether the russians had ever like managed to come up with second sources for some of those things once ukraine became independent uh, and stop trading with them after 2014. Uh, so 
this is really like you're you're you know going to war with your own left hand you know it's you know, uh they they were a critical supplier of stuff and they had a lot of the critical knowledge i am sure the the moskva is at the bottom of the sea right now precisely because these guys knew exactly where its weaknesses were because they built it yeah uh you know they they knew exactly where to hit it uh and of course the uh, the other thing about the moskva is that obviously it went down with a lot of its crew uh there's no chance that it didn't uh if you see they uh they have the cell phone film aren't cell phones wonderful everybody film, you know films everything so it's like in the middle of a war zone someone goes yeah and you know 10 minutes later it's on freaking youtube in the united states so uh you know while the ship is being towed you know there's a snippet of film from right before it went down and you can see there's this big ass hole in the stern of the ship the missile went into the ship penetrated the ship and blew up inside the ship which is what it's designed to do. yeah tell me that didn't kill anybody that's yeah. just not possible uh but the russians it's like oh yeah we uh everybody every we rescued everybody everybody went home uh, it, 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 really no that's nobody in their right mind believes that we know that about 50 people were rescued by the turks and other than that we don't know shit because you can't believe a goddamn word that comes out of moscow about any of this uh but yeah you can tell from what happened and the little snippets of information that get out from independent sources that it was bad do you think the have you, have you read any of those like theories that the moskva was carrying nuclear weapons yeah i've seen some uh, of that speculation and it's it's certainly reasonable because uh it's one of the things now I'm sure that the Russians are just like us, which is they will neither confirm nor deny the presence of nuclear weapons on any of their ships, which, uh, but if you have a ship of that class, which for the Russians, that was the top of the line. They're not building ships that size anymore. That was an older ship that they refitted, but they're not building new ships in that class. Uh, so it would be very believable that it had at the very least tactical nukes that could be put in artillery shells and stuff like that uh it, in fact it would be more believable that they did than that they didn't uh now the thing about the the russians is that they have never had the control structures in place that we either did or tried to have as far as maintaining control over their own nukes uh their priority was getting them you know bef you know before we had them and used them to just you know kill their country as certain people on our side wanted to do so they had to have them uh they didn't place nearly as much priority on security procedures as we did uh to the point where it's like i was reading you know a few weeks ago and i said that uh when we were cleaning helping them to clean up their mess after the breakup uh there was this one facility where uh 
a uh, we we installed a big access control system for them because they had nothing. They had a fence that usually had several openings in it at all times. And when we went back, all the shit we had installed had been disabled. And the reason was there was a lake that had fish in it. And it was too important for the locals to be able to fish in the lake to feed themselves, even though the fish were contaminated. <laughs> so, okay, you know, that was part of the problem is that they would let the people in to fish in the lake that was in the middle of the secure facility. And then when they came out, the radiation alarms would go off because the fish they caught were contaminated. So they turned the alarms off. Jeez. That's Russia for you. Yeah, that's okay. That's the kind of thing you're dealing with there. This is why I find it so believable that the tritium was never put in the damn bombs to keep them serviced. Because if you're doing shit like that, then are you really putting a quarter million dollars worth of tritium into each of these bombs to, you know, twice a day uh, for, for, in order to keep the fleet that you can't ever use operable? I mean, that just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, with the more and more time that passes since we did that episode, I'm beginning to think that that that, that might uh, that genuinely might be like a hundred percent true. Yeah, uh, and and I wasn't as convinced of it then as I am now. It, it's it, yeah. Every time I see another fuck up on the battlefield, another thing where they obviously thought something was there that turns out not to be there on their side. Then, yeah. um, th th then I go back to quarter million dollars per bomb twice a day for 20 or did they really spend that? And, you know, and you just don't have the depth of security that you do in the United States for uh, double checking stuff. You know, I mean, I can't sign off that a scale has been calibrated unless someone else in an independent pathway agrees and also signs off on it. But there you got people walking in and out to fish in the contaminated lake because, well, you can't tell these people they can't fish in the lake because they got to eat. That's totally different mindset. The other thing is, is I mean, they're never going to broadcast. So let's just hypothetically say that they've tried to use, or they're maybe they're looking through their nuclear stockpile and they're going, none of these things fucking work. Or maybe they've tried. Maybe that's what the mm -hmm. the Kinjal hypersonic missile was. Because you don't fire a hypersonic yeah. missile at a barracks, the same yeah, I mean, barracks that all around it were being hit by artillery from a hundred year old artillery pieces. Yeah. Well, I think that there was a thing a couple of days after we did that episode that says like, well, maybe we were overthinking it and it wasn't really a hypersonic missile. Maybe uh -huh. one of the reports was from the wrong side of the country or something, uh -huh. uh, which makes more sense to me. Honestly, I, I don't see them using a weapon like that. Uh, e even if it was meant as a nuclear attack that failed, then I think that there would have been a lot more literally fallout from it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, you know, for one thing, the Ukrainians have Geiger counters and they were acting like, what's the big deal? It's just another missile. Uh, if there was any chances, there was a bunch of plutonium sprayed all over the landscape. I think that they would have been able to tell and they would have said, you know, uh, 
this wasn't a normal missile. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that there's got to be a tension between at some point you've got people who either know or suspect because they know what's been going on on the ground. Uh, and then the top where they think they have this capability and you don't want to be the guy trying to explain to Vladimir from the other end of that really long table uh, that the nukes don't work. Maybe there's the most comical, <laughs> there's the most comical form of, of like dancing going on right now. And that you have all these generals who are like, we don't need to tell them they don't work. We could just do what we've been doing for 70 years and explain to them that nobody wins in thermonuclear war. So it's, they're just, keep, it's like me saying, right. It's like the bank saying, trust us, the gold's there. It's just like, <laughs> Hey, Roger, why are, we don't need to fire nukes. I mean, this is stupid. We do in their minds. They're like, if we fire these things and they don't work, we're all going to be shot in the head to Putin. He's just like, these are my generals who, you know, they're against thermonuclear Armageddon, but the generals are just like, they're not even against it. They're just like, this is the only way we can, we can disguise the yeah. fact that we, we don't have any weapons. Yeah. Well, and yeah, cause they, 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 they're, 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 they're up against the wall either way. And, yeah. uh, they, yeah, they're screwed. Uh, but well, particularly if you've got Putin who, who may be very sick or at the very least is obviously very tired and not sleeping very well uh, and has decided to die on this hill along with so the rest of his country. It's such a weird fucking hill to die on. Well, not really. If you look at, you know, Putin, what, what he wants is he wants to be remembered as the guy yeah. who, who restored Russia to greatness, make Russia yeah. great again. And, you know, after the humiliating loss of their empire in the 80s, uh, who, who, you know, his his last act was to would be to restore Russia to the greatness that w- that it deserved. And even if he couldn't be there to see it completed, but what's happening instead is he's getting humiliation after humiliation. And uh, part of it is, you know, he very obviously understood the deal that he made with the kleptocrats was that uh, in return for their loyalty, they were allowed to steal uh, whatever they could in order to, you know, make their own little fiefdoms and shit, as long as he got his, 50% 50% taste and it didn't occur to him that he hadn't told them when to stop. Yeah. And only now is it becoming apparent that they really didn't know when to stop. So the whole empire has been stolen out from under itself. Uh, it's like the, uh, there's, the a segment of the last emperor where uh the last emperor realizes that they're going through all this formality and theater even though they don't have a country anymore and the only possible reason is so they can steal the sets from the stage and so he orders an audit and next thing you know all of the eunuchs are being given their balls back and little boxes and sent packing because they were obviously stealing everything. That was the only thing left for them to do. Uh, and I think, you know, Russia itself may be 
in that in that situation right now where you know all these guys just sat back and padded their pockets with whatever they could uh, pry up and, and carry off and now Putin is going well no we're you know we're we're a great power let's use this but all of the, this that they're going to use has been sold off uh, and no one quite knows how to tell Vladimir that it's surely if anybody could tell him that without getting shot they would have told him three or four weeks ago <laughs> yeah uh, but instead everybody you know it, it it's digging in and it's obvious there are forces in Russia that are trying to resist that uh, but they're not prevailing yet yeah they're you know what you know what are they doing it's like okay we have a problem with the Russian uh, troops not taking orders so they bring in the Chechens to murder them. yeah yeah uh, well, that's not the way you handle the situation if you realize the reason that the troops are refusing these orders. Do you think that, so let's say Putin's figuring out the nukes aren't working. I feel like, although that's like a great thing, they still have plenty of conventional power to still carry out, I mean, all-out massacre. I feel like that is still in the realm of possibility of the just the because I mean they do the well that's what they're doing no but I mean to a to another level I mean like the Tupolev one hundred and sixty like their stealth bomber I mean full on they're doing it but they're not going as far as they could if they want I mean they truly could start carpet bombing they're not they're not too far from refraining from that I get it like they are. But they're also yeah. not going full on balls deep slaughter, right? There's still some pretend veil of hesitancy. Do you know what I mean? Well, I I and I think uh, the existence of NATO has a lot to do with that. You know, yeah. they're not quite sure. You know, they're what the other thing that they've seen, and again, how much of it have they told Vlad about, or is Vlad admitted to himself is about? All of the things that they're doing, you know, one of his goals was to fracture and destroy NATO. And he thought he was well on his way with that, with some of the stuff that the fuckery with our politics and, mm -hmm. and EU politics. And the whole Ukraine thing has done nothing but glue NATO together faster than ever and encourage Sweden and Norway to think seriously about joining, which they had always been very resistant to. Uh, so it's like, then you know even though ukraine isn't a nato member nation if you start carpet bombing them with strategic bombers uh at what point is this enough of a provocation that nato says okay that is enough we are going to start shooting down your planes in ukraine airspace and then you've got a more serious war on your hands which you better hope the nukes don't work. Yeah. Well, the other thing is if you're on their side and you know how bad the situation is, you don't want to get there. Yeah. I, I definitely feel like a, a, a Russian born assassination is probably how this is going to end. 
because yeah. you have generals who probably love their country but also have wives and kids and they're like hey what are we we're i'm we're really riding this thing off the cliff like yeah. i mean you wonder you wonder did they did they disseminate information did they leak information to aid in the the sinking of the Moscow? I mean, think about it. Let's say you have two A-bombs yeah. there and you're an admiral and you're going, Putin's lost it. He's out purely for vengeance. Maybe you yeah. turn the ship broadside. I don't really think there was any perfidy involved in the mosque, but I think that was the fact that the Ukrainians they built the, sh- they, the Ukrainians built the ship. They knew its weakness. Sure. But uh, I thought I saw something that said like their the full radar wasn't even like deployed. Like there's an image of it when it's sinking and they're like, that's not even like there's some like casing or something. And they're like, that's not like it should well, be in X position and not like it wasn't even that. Does that mean because it hasn't been maintenance yeah. because it doesn't work? Could it be that? Could it be? Why wasn't it well, turned on? I think I think I think your most likely explanation for any of those anomalies is the maintenance wasn't yeah. done. Uh but uh, you also have to remember that the ship was sunk uh, some time after the missiles hit it because it was in tow. Yeah, uh, it was in the process of being towed back to port, and you know when it sank in the middle of that. So there's there was time for a lot of things to change configuration or to be you know for patches to be applied that just turned out not to be good enough and and stuff like that. Um, but I, I think, you know, first of all, I think if Putin does try to order a nuclear strike, he gets killed by his own. Yeah, I don't think it will be carried I, out. I, yeah, it won't be carried out, and that will be the end of him and, and his regime. But it's hard to say how much short of that will be necessary to get the same result. Uh because you've got a bunch of people who are behind, you know, between a rock and a hard place here. Uh, if they know what the real situation is that Vlad doesn't know, uh, they also know that telling him is a good way to end up having a Polonian tea. So, uh, you know, or getting, you know, having a nice view out the window for the last five seconds of your life. Uh, you want. <laughs> You almost wonder if we got to kind of do like post-World War II, start sucking up all the Nazis. You almost wonder if like the best move, definitely not the most moral move, but if the best move would just be to start, you know, letting the oligarchs know like, hey, we'll unfreeze everything you want. You can come, come, you can come get a penthouse in New York. Hmm. Just well, and we'll exfil. We'll get you out of there. Yeah. Well, I think that it's implied in the way that it was done because they didn't seize anything. They just Just froze so far. Uh, So it's like the message is like you all stop acting like bad actors and Mm -hmm. we'll all back away. But you can still fuck your hookers and have your Rolls Royces. Hey, we get to have the games played. We're, We're demons too. Like, you know. Yeah. But on the other hand, if Vlad gets an idea of what you're up to before you go through with it, then you and your whole family end up committing suicide. Which is what I think, (laughs) but I think, and that would work in our favor. It would be like, so, you know, time is of the essence. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, if you're going to bail, bail sooner than later. I, I, I suspect that the dead oligarch syndrome is a clue that it is already going on. Yeah. Uh, but Putin's grip is so tight that yeah. he has been ahead of it so far. Um, and the thing is, is I think that again, not that it's definitely not moral, but I mean, just in objective, like power politics, I think China wants Russia to keep doing this because it's, they're just gutting themselves. And now they got to come crawling back to mother China who will say, Hey, we'll fucking do X, Y, and Z for you. Why don't you give us all that timber and ore and fertilizer and oil? And we probably like it because one, it's our our former arch nemesis gutting themselves. But two, now NATO is starting to starting to pony up and fatten their contributions. And hey, that's that's less money yeah. off of us. And and also be much more enthusiastic about being NATO members. And yeah, there's nothing know. wetting everybody's beak again. Like hey, hey you do need these American war machines and yeah. and they're all going to start purchasing things from the exclusive seller, the US of a, mm-hmm. the one-stop shop for all of your murdering machines. Yes. Well, because they're not going to want to be buying them from China. Well, I mean, exactly. We're, we're already getting all of our cheap consumer shit from them as it is. So. But the thing is, I think we probably like that because we're also getting everybody on this sort of war footing mind mm-hmm. because now now we can bang the drums in a year and go, China's getting ready for Taiwan. Do you guys want Ukraine part two? You couldn't yeah. sell that. You couldn't sell that six months ago. Six yeah. months from now, you could you could sell it. You could say, hey, we got to go defend Japan. And you'd have people from all of NATO going, let's go prevent this. <laughs> I think, and I don't like it, but I think the powers that, it's what I said to you in the text the other night, I think this is what they want because ultimately this drives to a cold war and technology progresses much faster during a cold war, a space race 2.0. Now the caveat is, is if you, it's walking a tightrope. If you fuck up, it's, we go back to the stone age, but we might be getting a little cocky after surviving one cold war and going true. The, the Cuban missile crisis and the Apollo program were pretty much contemporaneous inter- intertwined. And I mean, there is no, you know, trickle down econ- economics isn't real, but I mean, the trickle down technology was very real. And if you're looking at it like, Hey, let's jump forward again. Let's do another space race 2.0. Let's do everything 2.0. Yeah. Well, the Chinese are ahead of the curve on that. Yeah. They've decided, so- they've decided to send humans to the moon. Yeah, and it's, and they will be doing it with better technology, so they will probably be able to accomplish more than our guys did in the sixties and seventies. Uh, so then we have to look at that and go: Are we going to let them take the top thing? Because it's it's a thing in every technology. The 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 innovator who creates it isn't the one who gets rich off it. Yeah. In fact, that was the theme of the last episode. I, I, I just jammed the series from the Earth to the Moon by Tom Hanks. It was a 12-episode HBO series that he did around the time that he did Apollo 13. Uh, and uh, each episode does a deep dive on some aspect of the Apollo program that you probably didn't know about. Uh, and the very last episode was... Uh, La, uh, La Voyage dans la Moon, 
uh, and the it was about the French film, which you've seen the stills from it where, you know, there's this comical thing of the rocket ship poking the man in the moon in the eye. Uh, that film was the very first film ever made that was made conceptually to tell a story. Uh, it was in its own way as innovative as, as Citizen Kane. It, it invented the idea of the Hollywood film as we know it today. And the uh, producer thought he was going to get rich because he was going to take it to America. And he didn't make a dime off of it because a perfidious pirate stole it, got a copy when it was being uh, film, you know, shown in, I think it was London, made a copy of it. And the pirate took it to the United States and showed it all over the place and made a fortune off of it. It did turn out to be wildly popular, but the guy who made the film didn't get anything out of it. And the name of the pirate who did that was Thomas Alva Edison. Bastard. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> but I think, I think if you were to zoom out and like look at the chessboard you would go you want you you want what's going on right now with russia and ukraine it drives to there'll be two alliances will be the the russo sino and then like the, the american nato and then that's how we can sell things like we got to go defend taiwan and japan but it will also be why yeah. you can start beating the drums for like why are we going back to the moon we got to go back to the moon, uh, moon. china's going i think mm -hmm. I think that's probably like the pieces that are being set in place right now for moves yeah. that are going to happen several years from now. And, and China is actually planning to go to the South polar regions where there is probably water. Yeah. So like, but that's what I mean is they're I think, planning to go back and stay. Yeah. So, and <laughs> so you can, you, you can see the, the speech now from Biden or whoever the fuck the next president is the, we cannot, you know, free peoples of the world. Like we cannot, stand by and watch china do this and then they'll, yeah. they'll bring up images from ukraine and be like we can't have this happening again it'll be, it'll yeah. be very loose and i logic. can also I, I, in, in be playing seen... fast and truth with the logic of it all but, yeah. <laughs> or fa uh, you know, uh, fast and loose yeah i have no real life uh anything to back this idea up but i can also in my head canon see china backing off from taiwan because they're able to march into Siberia almost unopposed because Russia has been weakened so much. And to them, that is like an excellent consolation prize. I don't think they'll even have to march it. I think we'll be invited. Yeah, that's... Yeah, they'll be exactly. invited they because... They might go that way. Yeah. Hey, Russia, you've been chopped off of the world banking system. You know, China's already so, mm -hmm. shown, hey, we'll help you out. It's going to come And you also price. have to ask yourself, why is Taiwan valuable? Well, a lot of it is because of the high-tech industries that are there. Well, if you start bombing the place into rubble, what does that do to that? And then okay. not only not only that, by your logic from earlier about Ukraine being a technologically advanced people, follow that line of work to why do we need Taiwan? Because it's technologically advanced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, so. they might get a little creative defending themselves too. Precisely. So, <laughs> so it's... 
it's they'll eventually come back for Taiwan. I mean, they're never going to stop trying to. It's it's a nationalist thing too. Even if they have to circle back in twenty fifty. No, but they they play the long game. They can sure. say, well, fifty years from now we'll come back. We'll come grab it. Yeah, yeah. You know, if we can get for Russia. the time being, yeah. we're we're better off this way. That was uh, another. Uh, oh, it was also I think Boa the fifth column who who had a thing about two weeks ago who uh, he pointed out that. Uh, whether you won the war, the metric is, are you better off after the war than you were before the war? Yeah. And he pointed out that it's possible to win the fighting, but lose the war. Because in, you know, and, and, and as he went on to point out, it's like, okay, you know, did we win in Afghanistan? Not really. We're, we're not better off. We're not in a better position because of it. We won the fighting. We subdued the territory and the people. We, uh, you know, accomplished our stated goals, but we burned a lot of treasure and life in the process, and really didn't get much tangible benefit out of it. Uh, by a similar metric, as he pointed out, Russia lost the Ukraine war by day four. Yeah. At that point, there was no chance of them getting out of it in a better position. And in fact, they've dug that hole deeper and deeper uh, with every passing week. Uh, what's happened is they've ex- they've they've exposed themselves as being weak and ineffective, and having terrible uh, command and control structures, and and basically being kind of a paper tiger. Really, the only strength that they have left on a global scale is their nuclear weapons. And, and resources yeah well and yeah the, leverage the, of resources they yeah they, they have the gas fields and stuff like that but then it's like what makes them better than saudi arabia i'd say 4500 nuclear weapons yeah uh saudi arabia is a bunch of demons but like at least they do business yeah well they're <laughs> They're extremely nasty people, but they're nasty people that you can conduct a trade with, and they'll primarily because we've we've neutered them. But <laughs> plus, I mean, you could really see Russia falling into China if China says like, "Hey, we'll 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 get Ukraine eventually. We'll, we'll, it'll take it's gonna take twenty years. We'll get you Ukraine," mm-hmm. which they might not even end up doing, but it just has a selling point because Putin will be gone in twenty years. Well, Putin will be gone a lot sooner than that. Well, precisely, <laughs> including 20 years. So like, it, yeah. you'll have to sell it now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, you don't have to sell it to Putin. You have to sell it to whoever replaces Putin. Or, yeah, uh, yeah, you could even preemptively sell it. They might say, hey, you guys get rid of Putin, and then we'll mm-hmm. take care of you. We'll cut you a really sweet deal. We'll cut you a hugely sweet deal. And the oligarchs can be back. Business will be booming. And and the oligarchs will all be going, well, if we try this, there's an eight out of 10 chance we're going to end up falling out of a window. But if we manage to avoid that, then we'll be sitting pretty. And, you know, one of us will be riding the big coach where mm-hmm. Putin is. And hopefully that guy will have a little more sense. Uh, of course, they all thought Putin had more sense than he did until he started doing some of this crazy shit. Wild card. What if Russia joins NATO? NATO won't let him. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking, like, what could be more absurd? 
yeah. than Russia joining NATO, and then we would have to defend Russia from Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's almost as crazy to think of Ukraine joining NATO, and people are making like actual strong noises about that. Yeah. The main reason that they, they can't is that they're involved in an active conflict, and NATO's rules preclude you you have to be in a stable peaceful situation to join hey, so that, just just like america baby <laughs> no pre-existing conditions right yeah yeah before the aca yeah 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 roger i gotta i gotta pee again i need you to monologue i'm i don't know what's right. going on somebody drank too much beer or pomegranate juice or something okay um well uh Obviously, we live in interesting times. So this is what Tommy and I are talking about here tonight. And it's going to be real interesting to see how it uh, shakes out in the end. Uh, I guess I will be known as the guy who suggested Russia doesn't have nuclear weapons. And there will be all kinds of comical cartoons about that with me getting mushroom clouds dropped on my head uh if it i turn out to be wrong uh if there's anyone left to draw those cartoons <laughs> so i guess i i'm not that worried about it anyway oh and uh i haven't been drinking it but i have a little dram of good ukrainian vodka here I've actually been drinking my wine like I usually do, but I have. Glory to Ukraine. There's not a lot of places that you can actually shop Ukrainian, but Total Wine and Spirits turns out to be one of them. <laughs> um, uh, <clears throat> forgot what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, did, did you catch the last bit that I... Uh, Something about wine and spirits. I have uh, a little dram of good Ukrainian vodka. Vodka. Uh, it was, and I was reminding your viewers that there's not a lot of places you can shop Ukrainian, but total wine and spirits turns out to be one of them. <laughs> hey, man. Good for something. <laughs> um now, Claire said it on Thursday that I didn't know that Russia had actually sent a, like a couple scuds or cruise missiles into western Ukraine, like one or two, and it hit some buildings or something. That's on one hand, you know, in, in the scheme of war, that's not really anything, one or two missiles. But that's another big step of like, you know, hey, they're not limiting it to east Ukraine. Do you think this is kind of the implosion of Putin where he's like, fuck it? I, I I think that probably is. And, and uh, one of the things I wanted to mention, too, which we didn't get a chance, is like one of the first things that that uh, got me thinking along these lines with Ukraine, it was that uh, you had sent me that link uh, to Claire's episode because you had an obvious Russian state troll in your comments section. Uh, but I watched her episode. I usually don't watch her episodes because I've can kind of predict what she's going to say i can tell she has the inside view that you know but she also has the politics of the people who hang around 
in this few I, I i know a few of them in real life and it's like i don't really need to hear another one say the same things yeah but when i i listened to her episode so i could see what you wanted to deal with in the comments and i realized she was saying the exact same thing that people on the left like marcos Melitzis and mark sumner were saying and when you get people on the opposite ends of the political spectrum like that saying the exact same thing about a situation that was startling yeah uh and that was one of the things that i i went then i went into the comments with and i realized well you know this guy in the comments was very clear you uh all i can figure is that those guys almost certainly went through uh the search engine looking for war crimes ukraine russia okay yeah and you know you you know you titled the episode russian war crimes so <laughs> yeah uh, and yeah. uh so you got one who could actually speak english yeah i mean i've i've dealt with a couple of others on other forums who clearly had the pronoun problem you know because russian doesn't have some of the pronouns that english does and you can quickly tell a non-native you know that that they're kind of translating it and they're not very good at it you know this guy was literate but laser guided on point to the russian talking points yeah no matter how crazy they were and unsubstantiated and he also to his credit once he realized he was dealing with someone who wasn't backing down uh he he declared victory and left the field of battle saying well sorry local roger but you're boring yeah no. there <laughs> i'll never i'll never i'll never not be amazed by by people who violently oppose the entertainment of all ideas you know be it be it pro anti-trump be it pro anti dr malone I've had on Ukrainian refugees. I've had on, I've had on Claire talking about it. I've had on guys talking about how Russia could be justified, how NATO expansion are the U.S. Bot, whatever it is. To me, if I'm not, it's kind of like what you just said. Like you know, I don't need to hear it again from another person. Like if I'm not trying to like field all, all input, if I'm not trying to field it all and make up my own mind based yeah. on that or at least just hear it out then what what's there are people are like i i don't understand how you're doing this anti-russian propaganda i'm like well what do you want then if because if if you've decided that you don't want to hear that then you've decided yeah. that you only want to hear the things you like well then what's the point of what's the point of hearing it again what what is just just find something you like and put it on repeat you know, if you if you get mad that every band doesn't sound like Led Zeppelin, just keep listening to Led Zeppelin. <laughs> like, just keep like clearly you're not comfortable hearing anything outside yeah. of it. And that's fine. But and and that was uh, not at, at all what I meant. I mean, it's like I don't no, I know. Uh, I know that. I know that. No, yeah. I mean, I'm talking about the people that the, tro that are, the trolls. Yeah. That, well, they're they're there to support a state supported propaganda line. And they're there to uh, push the propaganda and to resist anything 
that might contradict the propaganda that they want to push. Yeah. And it's very calculated. It has nothing to do with the truth of anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they are trying to establish potent, you know, position within the mind space of the population. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I have no problem at all with Claire doing your show and, and people hearing her if they want. It's just my problem with her wasn't that I don't like what uh, yeah, she no. says. It's that I can tell ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but no, 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 that, none, none of that. None of that was directed at you. It's the people yeah. that or conversely. I'll have people that will be like, why are you having on people that are talking about the U.S. biolabs in Ukraine and entertaining the idea of maybe Russia is justified? There are people who are like, why would you put that? And I'm like, I have to hear out all sides. And if you don't want to yeah. hear it, don't. And that's one of I the things I think is great about your show. You know, it, it's that there's there's nobody who is probably going to like all of your guests. Absolutely not. That's theoretically and, impossible. Yes. Uh, but the fact that you put them all on and and give them all uh, a chance to air their uh, ideas is the point. You know, it, it's that you give everyone an equal footing. You don't give a better footing to the guy that you like than the guy. You know, say everybody comes here, sees you sitting in front of the flag and you ask pretty good questions. And then if someone wants to make a fool of themselves, they have the opportunity to do that. And if they want to make their case, they can do that too. Uh, I wish more of the media that had more viewership was more like you in that respect. And I think that's why you get, well, me, of course, but also people like Charlie Duke and Richard Rhodes, not just coming on your show, but coming on repeatedly because they come, they, they find that they have uh, a space where they can air their opinion, where they're not being judged, uh, you know, quite as minutely as they would be, especially when you look at someone like Charlie Duke or Richard Rhodes, you gotta realize every, every time they open their mouth in public, there's a whole bunch of people getting, you know, re you know ready to jump down their throat if they don't like what they say. Yeah. Uh, but they come, on your show and it's like yeah you're you're just you know young guy curious ask decent questions not threatening you know that that is you know there was a period a long time ago when that was what it was like to be a guest on a mainstream tv show and it got you know, starting in the 80s and especially accelerating the 90s, you got more and more rapidly partisan and, you know, very selective about things and all. Uh, no, no one really does it that way anymore. Everyone, you know, it's like part of it is funding. It's like, okay, if you have a show on Fox News, who's paying your salary? Yeah. Doesn't matter how open-minded you are yourself. Yeah. At the end of the day, the guy who wrote your paycheck might call you into his office and say, uh, Tommy, you granted this interview and you were pretty friendly with this guy who is obviously a nut job. Yeah, but he's not one know, of ours. He's not one of ours. You know, it's like uh, you can't be helping these people. Well, yeah, that, to me, that's the most <clears throat> the most absurd. Another criticism I hear, even from like 
not even trolls. I mean, people that I verifiably know aren't trolls, like friends, family members. And people are like, all right, I'll get why you have on people to from all sides of an issue. But they're like, you don't challenge them. And my logic is this. Mm-hmm. Hear me out. If I'm bringing on people from all sides of an issue, right? And I want to hear all sides of the issue. By challenging them on their issue, that now becomes me by default defending a position. If I really want to hear all sides of the issue, what you do is you just say, here's your time speak because if you put someone on the defensive you're not going to get the best out of them if you say tell me why this and just give them free reign it's like when you see someone that lights up and you know they're telling you about their hobby you see their whole body language you know what do you do for a job while i'm an accountant what do you like to do though oh man i build model airplanes and you Mm -hmm. you're going to find out more about them by letting them flourish and sort of blossom without you being like model airplanes are fucking stupid like you're not going to you're not going to get who they are from that. So if I have someone on to explain to me or to present their point of view, I'm not going to sit here and say, you're a fucking idiot. What about NATO encroachment? I'm going to be like, I'm going to go forward. I'm, I'm going to push it further in the direction. I'll be like, yeah, t- tell me. That's how you get to what they really believe. And then that's how you get that nugget of truth of what that side believes. And then you bring on the other side. And just like you don't challenge the first person, if I happen to agree with the other person, I'll try not to jerk them off and I'll be like, kind of defend your or play devil's advocate. And just that's how you get the. And then it's out there and it's out there as an episode and you, the listener, then now you can decide. Now you have the, now you have the dossier of information, do with it what you will. Yeah. And sometimes you get a surprise. Like the accountant might say, no, I really like accounting. It's like yeah. numbers are beautiful, man. You see patterns, you see things yeah. fall out in the, in the, you know, it's like solving a mystery to find out whether, you know, if these things don't add up, where is the discrepancy? What is it? You know, it, it's, you yeah. know, and, and you'll find people who like that, you know, and it's like, I'm a little that way. Cause I write computer software. I've been doing it both as my job and my, and a hobby since I was 10 years old. And yes, there is beauty there, and it's a beauty that most people can't see. So sometimes you try to describe it, but there's not a lot of venues where you can try to explain how this is a beautiful language. It's part math. It's part language. It's, you know, uh, you can you can look at a program and see the mindset of the person who wrote it and you know, uh, whether it flows properly or not, whether, whether it's elegant, whether it has extra stuff that isn't necessary, whether it could be made more beautiful or better if, if a little care had been put into it and all, and also why so much of it doesn't fucking work. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that, you know, that accountant might come and tell you, oh man, you wouldn't believe some of the shit that I found in the books of big corporations. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it, 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 the beginning of the day, all you know is that these two figures should be the same and they're not. But then you go look into it and you can see, uh, yeah, the president's son got a motorcycle at this, on this day. And isn't it interesting that the price of the motorcycle happens to be the difference, the discrepancy and, you know, or something like that, you know, uh, and that's, there are many things, many things like this. Everybody has a story. And there are a lot of us who have access to these things or see these things that their uh, their beauty, their importance 
isn't immediately obvious if you haven't spent years studying it. Uh, you can look at a, you know, a painting, you know, in a, in a museum gallery, and it could take your breath away, but you're not quite sure why. But then the guy can come around and say, oh, yes, this is where this guy invented this technique, and he did this thing, and it's unlike anything anyone else of his generation did. And you can see, if you compare it to this one over here, how much of an improvement it is. Uh, you know, what, you know, how he handled light differently and so forth. And you appreciate it that much more, a lot with music that way. You know, uh, you know, this, you know, this singer uh, used this technique or, or they, they did this trill or, or whatever, you know, it's a, each style of music has, you know, added something or in some cases taken something away because subtraction can also uh, be additive in the art world. Uh, and you get someone who has studied that for their entire life. And even if you aren't able to completely appreciate it yourself, you just listen to them tell you that story. It's beautiful. Uh, I used to hang around with a lot of birders. Uh, you know, I would go on these tours with my wife, with these people who had spent their entire lifetime studying birds. Uh, there was uh, one particular guy who ran a tour company who funded his scientific research by giving these tours. Uh, and watching these guys who had done this their entire life, I, mean, I didn't know jack shit about birds. I can tell you what a mockingbird is. That's, you know, I can tell the difference between a mockingbird and a crow. All right. Much beyond that, I'm dependent on the people around me to say, oh, what that is. But watching them do this, okay, you know, it's like in there, you know, especially when they start, you know, if it's something subtle and they start going, well, you know, the tail feather is this. And it's like, you know, and I've seen this before, but, and you're, you're just looking at these experts practice their expertise. There is a beauty in that. Mm. Uh, even if you don't understand exactly what they're doing, you can tell, you can tell someone knows their shit. Even if you don't know their shit and you don't directly, you can, you can tell by the way they handle themselves, whether they're, you know, someone who's posturing comes across very differently from someone who is confident in their knowledge. Because someone who's confident in their knowledge isn't trying to convince you. They're not holding themselves like they're not, oh yes, that's you know, they're like, oh yeah, no, I don't, I don't get that. Uh there was a guy who accompanied us on a couple of those tours who actually drew uh he he did paintings and illustrations for Scientific American and for uh just like all kinds of scientific uh, things. And he could pick a feather up off the ground, a random feather. I was like, oh, and he could tell you not only what bird it came from, from what part of the bird's body. And he could tell you why. It's like, oh yeah, well, this is, you know, the right aerial tail feather. Uh, it's shaped this way because when he puffs up, it does this. Uh, and even the guy that ran the tours would be like, yeah, well, okay, yeah. I, I mentioned him, so I was like, man, John really 
you know, knows his shit, don't he? And Bill was like, well, if, if he didn't, who could tell? Yeah. <laughs> but, but you could tell because he was completely <clears throat> low key about it. It was just like, he wasn't showing off by saying this is the left alien tail feather of somebody's continent. It, it was, it was just more like, no, this is how you solve this mystery. This is the thought process behind it. You know, it, it wasn't like I have made the determination. Yeah. That's, you know, he wasn't showing off. You can learn if, if once you've been around a few people who know their shit, you can really tell the difference. Yeah. And uh, that came to be one of the things I really appreciated, even about, uh, you know, those things that were totally not my specialty at all. But I did like seeing these experts do their thing even mm. in a field that I really didn't understand myself very well, uh, just because I could see the years of experience being expressed in how they were doing their job. Uh, and you're in a very good position to see a lot of that. Um, on that note, I have, I have to facilitate the end of this one. The next guest just jumped into the room and like an idiot. I always wish we have more time. Um, but Roger, we will resume Sunday. Okay. Let's get back on some readings. I'm, yeah. I'm now, ne next Sunday, as far as I know, should also be open uh, because there's no movie date with dad. The, our next movie, unless there's a schedule change of some kind, will be on the 8th. Uh, Beautiful. So next weekend should be fairly open too. Beautiful. Well, Roger, I got to wrap this one up. I'll text you this episode when it's up. We will resume Sunday. Thank you so much.